I'm especially glad that you all are here as we're finishing our series that we've been going through for the past several weeks. This is the fifth week of our series called Members of God's Family. Members of God's Family. And what we've been doing is we've been trying to reorient ourselves around this idea of what does it mean to be a faithful church and what does it mean to be a faithful member of a church? In other words, what is it that we're trying to do here? When we come together here as a church family, what's our goal and how are we trying to, to accomplish it? So I hope this has been helpful for you to sort of clarify what this is supposed to look like. And again, for you, if you're not a Christian, this is your first time here, this is a great chance for you to kind of be able to fly on the wall and just kind of hear what, what, what we're about and hear what it would be like to be a part of a, of a church body or of a church family. Well, uh, before we get going with the text that we're looking at today, the text from the Bible that we're looking at today, I want to. There's a couple um, couple things I want to I want to say. So uh, we've been asking for questions, and one of the things about being a family, we always say that we're a family of disciples making disciples, and and families talk to each other, and families listen to each other, and that's what we do here. And uh, throughout this series, we've gotten some really good questions, and one of the most common questions that we've gotten, which is a very good question. Uh, talking about becoming a church member and what it means to be a church member is, am I going to be asked to sign something? <laughs> I see a couple of you nodding your heads. Were you nervously wondering that? Uh, am I going to be asked to sign something? And I think where that question is coming from is that we live in a, in a day today, in a culture today, where it seems like every minute we're being asked, every time we turn around, every time you go and like you want to you, you know, join, join some I don't know, you have to, you, you want to go and do a bounce house or you want to go to defy gravity sports or something, you have to sign a waiver like, oh, if you break your neck, then it's all my fault and you're not going to care at all or, or something like that. And, and so we're kind of in this culture where it feels like we're always being asked to sign something and we're also kind of worried that that's going to be weaponized against us, right? And so um, I think that's where some of that question is coming from. Are we going to be asked to sign something? And the answer is, is no. Uh, we're not asking anybody to sign anything. What's going to happen is uh, this coming week, during the week, we're going to send out an email, and that email is going to have some information that basically kind of summarizes a few of the things we've talked about for the past couple of weeks about what it means to be a church and what it means to be a church member. It's going to have in it our statement of what we believe based on the teachings of the Bible, what we believe about God and what we believe about Jesus. And it's also going to have a copy of our membership covenant, which is our family responsibilities to each other, and then our elders covenant, which is uh, we as elders who God's called to lead this church is our commitments to our, our fellow brothers and sisters who are here with us as part of this church family. And if you, if you look at that and if you kind of see what we're doing here and if you're like, I agree with this, I want to be a part of this. I want to join and lock arms with these brothers and sisters here to be a part of what God is doing here at Northwest Community Church. What we're going to ask you to do, uh, we're going to have, there's going to, it's not going to be a signature, it's going to be a, a, a box you can check that says, hey, I affirm that I just want to be a part of this. And it's not a legally binding contract. It's not something where if you, you know, if you forget to read your Bible one day, we're going to come and like wave a piece of paper. Oh, you sign. It's, that's not the heart behind this at all. We just want to know, uh, we, we just want to be unified together um, and, and be in to be locking arms, to be um, standing side by side for what God's calling us to do here. Does that make sense? So look for that, whether you're not a member and it'll be becoming a member for the first time, or if you already are a member, then you can indicate that you like to reaffirm that you want to be a part of what God's doing here. 
Okay? Well, that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is, um, uh, so as we've been listening to some of your feedback, we've gotten some really good feedback about our church covenant. And there's a couple things that um, you guys have pointed out um, that might be easy to misunderstand about the way the covenant was worded. And so we've decided just to make a couple of tweaks with the way we've expressed a couple of the, of the statements on our church members' covenant to help um, make sure that we can avoid those, those misunderstandings. Okay, so go ahead and put the first one up there on the screen. I'm just going to read through these. Um, so uh, in, the, in the beginning of the covenant, we say, We believe that we have been saved by grace and born again into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the line that we added. As members of the family of God and members of the body of Christ, it is our joy to partner together to follow Jesus here at Northwest as a family of disciples making disciples. And we added that line, members of the family of God, members of the body of Christ, to kind of to double down on some of this language the Bible uses that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Secondly, go ahead to the next one. Secondly, uh, this, this uh, statement about, about holy living. Um, it, it says, we will seek to walk in holiness and to avoid all forms of immorality. And this is the statement that we added at the end here. Remembering that we have been saved by grace and called to live a new life as an act of worship to Jesus. And the reason we added that is just to make super duper extra crystal clear that this is not about being good enough to be in God's family this is about responding to what Jesus has done in us to save us and responding to his call to live out the new life that he's given us, okay? And, uh, and thirdly, one of the lines says, we will submit to one another and submit to the church elders as they shepherd us under the authority of Jesus. And we added this first part and the last part about submitting to one another, and we also added the line at the end about elders shepherding under the authority of Jesus. And again, that was just to make super duper crystal absolutely clear that this is not about uh, you giving your final allegiance to a a person, to to an elder, but this is about us humbly coming alongside one another and about all of us submitting to, to Jesus. This is not about any one person. This is all about Jesus. Okay, does that make sense? Those are a couple of clarifications, and again, you'll get an email about some of those this week. Well, um, I don't know if this would be surprising or not, but the most controversial statement in the covenant, the one that I am guessing for you might be uh, a little bit hard to swallow, is this one right here, the one about submitting to elders, right? Um, I don't know how many of you w- would feel that or not, that maybe when you hear submitting to elders, uh, maybe, you're, maybe that's a little bit of a red flag. Maybe you get a little bit nervous, what's this going to be about? And I think, um, so I'm going to ask David Amon to come up. I, I want to give an illustration. I, I think one of the reasons that, um, that this is kind of a, a tough thing for people to swallow, let's give a hand for David. <laughs> David Amon, everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we did talk about this before. <laughs> okay, so um, okay, so the reason I think that this idea of submitting to authority can be so tough to swallow is because of the way we understand the word submission. Okay, how many of you watch the UFC? Anybody watch the UFC? You know where I'm going with this? <laughs> okay, so UFC is cage fighting, 
And it's basically, you know, fighting, and you can, don't worry, we're not going to fight. <laughs> but it's basically, you can, you can punch, you can kick, you can wrestle, you can choke, you can do all that stuff. Um, and it's, it's fighting. And so in the UFC, in ultimate fighting or mixed martial arts, whatever you want to call it, and maybe you face that way, don't look at me. <laughs> so sometimes what you'll see is, you'll see somebody will try to get up behind somebody, and they'll, real quick, they'll slip their left arm under their neck, and their right arm behind their neck, and they'll squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze, and then the person starts to lose consciousness, and then just when they're about to pass out, they'll tap out, and then they'll let them go, okay? <laughs> Thanks, David. Good job. <laughs> and what is that called? Submission. <laughs> And I think one of the reasons that we're so afraid of this idea of submitting to elders is because when we think of submitting to somebody, that's what comes to our mind, right? We think you're going to be choked out. It's kind of like, okay, you're stronger than me, and to avoid losing consciousness, all right, fine, you know, I'll just kind of go belly up and do whatever you want me to do. Um, and it's this idea where you're being humiliated, you know, you're losing your sense of your personal autonomy, you're losing your sense of self. And, and let's be honest, too, I know that there's some people in this room who have actually experienced that type of leadership, where you've been under somebody, whether it's in a home, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a school, whether it's in a church, where that's kind of been what leadership has looked like, Right? And so when you hear this idea of submitting to the elders, you get really nervous because you see it as a constricting thing, something that's going to take away your sense of your personal identity. And what we're talking about today is that that is absolutely not what the Bible is talking about when it says we should submit ourselves to the elders in the church. Submitting to, to leadership is not something that constrains you it's actually something that sets you free. Okay, so that's what we're talking about today. Go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, Peter in this letter, in the letter of 1 Peter, He's writing a letter to churches probably pretty similar to ours, maybe somewhat similar in size to, to ours, maybe a little bit smaller, and he's giving them instructions about how to live. And this is what Peter says when he gets to the end of his letter, and he's talking about these relationships between the leaders of a church and the people who are members of the church. This is what he says. First Peter chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, 
you will receive the, unfra- the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe, yourself, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, well, there's two commands that Peter gives, two instructions that Peter gives in this passage, two main instructions. The first one is instructions that Peter gives to the elders, and the second is instructions that Peter gives to people who are not elders within a church family. Okay, so there's this word elder, which is kind of a a strange word, Uh, but in the Bible, there's three main words that are used in the New Testament to refer to the leaders of a church. One is elder, uh, a second one is overseer, and a third one is pastor. Okay, elder, overseer, and pastor. And today, we like to use the term pastor a lot. That's one of the more commonly used of these three terms. But really, these three words, elder, overseer, and pastor, these are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And so elder, overseer, and pastor are three words that refer to the same role that someone would be playing in leading a church. Okay, so let's look at what Peter says, the instructions that he gives to the elders of a church or the pastors or the overseers of a church. He says in verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God. So the instructions to elders is to shepherd. So you've probably seen pictures of shepherds and pictures of sheep. You know, sheep are these kind of really fuzzy, cute-looking, defenseless animals who are really good at producing stuff to make sweaters, but are really bad at navigation and really bad at self-defense. And so um, sheep always have a shepherd who's going to take care of them, who's going to feed them, who's going to protect them, and who's going to guide them. And this is the metaphor that Peter uses, that the whole Bible uses, to describe the role of a leader within the church, somebody who is a shepherd, okay? Now, there's several different ways that we shepherd, that God tells us to take care and to lead and to guide the, the members of our church family. And what I'm going to do for the next few minutes is I want to re- give you eight different ways that elders are called to shepherd, Eight different ways that elders are called to shepherd. And I've read to you before from our membership covenant, which is the list of family responsibilities that we commit to strive for, the ways that we serve one another here in our church body. And and these eight different responsibilities that elders have, these are straight from our elders covenant, which is a commitment that those of us who are elders slash pastors slash overseers in this church that we make to you, that God is calling us to, these things that God is calling us to do in order to serve you, okay? And uh, currently, we have, three, we have three staff elders, Matt Rice, David Amon, and then, and then myself, and then uh, Zach Kirby, Brian Cross, and Aaron Kiefer are our three non-staff elders. And again, these are the six men that God has, has raised up to shepherd this church at this time. These are eight ways that we commit to serve you as your shepherds in this church family. 
So number one, number one, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be examples of what it looks like to faithfully fulfill the membership covenant. Abusive leaders say, do as I say and not as I do. Abusive leaders say, you do the dirty work so I won't have to. But a faithful elder says, follow me as I follow Christ. Let me show you how to do this. Let me do this with you. This doesn't mean that elders are perfect. But what it does mean is that we should be examples of the things that we are calling you to pursue. So, for example, when we talk about open Bible, we should be able to say, hey, you want to know what it looks like to read God's word for yourself on a regular basis? Go talk to Zach Kirby. Watch the way he has personal devotions, the way he leads his family in the word. You want to know what it looks like to live the way we say it with an open life where we're confessing our sin to God, we're being humble and vulnerable with each other? Go, go be in a life group with Brian Cross. Look, the way he, look at the way he shares his struggles and repents of sin and, and, and opens himself up and lets you see him as he is following Jesus. You want to see what it looks like to have open faith, to be sharing the gospel, go look at the way Aaron and Casey Kiefer engage their neighbors to talk to them about Jesus, to build relationships with them, and to tell them about the gospel. Right, we should be examples of what it looks like to faithfully fulfill the membership covenant. Number two, we will care for the members and regularly pray for them. We'll care for the members and regularly pray for them. This is the main way that you can tell the difference between an abusive leader, which again, I know many of you have experienced, or you've heard stories about, or you've, you know people who have been hurt by abusive leadership before. This is the main way you can tell if somebody is an abusive leader or if they are a faithful shepherd. Do you actually care about the people that you're leading. An abusive leader, an abusive leader uses the people that they are leading to satisfy their own desires. An abusive leader uses the people they lead to satisfy their own desires. Probably the, the grossest, most obvious example of that would be sexual abuse, where you're literally you're using somebody that you're supposed to be serving, you're using them to satisfy your own desires. But it doesn't have to be that. It could also be somebody's desire to, to be famous or, or to be rich, where you're using the people that God, maybe you're preaching the gospel, maybe you're, you, know, you believe the right things, but at the end of the day, is using the people that they're leading, these people are a stepping stone to become famous or to develop a big platform, or to make a lot of money and afford a nice car, or whatever the case may be. But it also happens in more subtle ways. For example, it's also, it's also sinful for an elder or for a shepherd 
to use the people that he is leading to meet his desire, to satisfy his desire for approval. Maybe you can do the right thing, even in the right way. But if in your heart it's coming from a place of, praise me, think I'm a good person, think I'm spiritual, think I'm smart. Well, it's not coming from care towards the sheep. It's coming from greedily trying to satisfy your own desires, right? So an abusive leader uses the sheep to satisfy his own desires. A faithful elder gives of himself to meet the needs of the sheep. And so this is, will be a good question for, for those of us, the, these men that I just mentioned, including myself, and also the rest of you as you serve in various different leadership capacities, whether it's in a home, whether it's in a company, whether it's in a life group, whether it's in a small group. Are you leading out of a desire to meet the needs of the people that you're serving? Or are you, maybe without even knowing it, have you fallen into leading other people in order to use them to make you feel important, to make you feel significant, to satisfy your need for, -appro for, for approval? Maybe one of the easiest ways to tell is how do you react emotionally when somebody that you're leading doesn't do what you want them to do? If your first reaction is you get mad and you get impatient and, and you kind of want to tell them off or something, well, that's a good indication that you've been, maybe without even noticing it, you've actually been using these people to make you feel productive or to make you feel smart or to make you feel successful. And they're not meeting that need, and so you're mad at them. On the other hand, if when people don't do what you want them to do, if you respond patiently gently, the same way Jesus would respond, that's a sign that you're actually shepherding out of genuine love and genuine care, okay? Number three, we will ensure, or sorry, we will prayerfully seek God's will for our church family and steward the resources of the church to the best of our ability. Number four, we will ensure that the church is led by elders, deacons, and staff, and other leaders who meet the qualifications described in scripture. Number five, we will teach and counsel the members of this church from the whole of Scripture. One of the shepherd's main jobs is to lead the sheep to places where there's good grass to eat. In the same way, Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And it's our job to feed you from God's word on a regular basis. At the same time, the, number six is we will guard the members of this church against false teaching. You know, sheep can eat pretty much anything. I don't know if you've seen sheep eat before. Sheep can pr eat pretty much anything, but there's some plants that are poisonous to sheep. And it's the shepherd's job to know that and to say, hey, eat this, but watch out for that. In the same way, it's our job to make sure that we're guiding you into pure, biblical, solid, healthy truth from the Bible, and we're protecting you from things that are not true. Okay, number seven, we will equip and train the members of this church to be disciples who make disciples. 
we don't want you to just rely on us. We don't want to just say, because I said so. We don't want you just to take our word for it. We want to show you how to read your Bible. We want to show you how to live in community with each other. We want to show you how to be on mission and share your faith. And let you loose. And let you shine. And let you follow Jesus as we help guide you along. We want to equip you and train you, not make all this about, hey, bring your friends to church. We'll share the gospel with them. You don't need to read the Bible on your own. We'll tell you what it means. That's not what we want to do. Number eight, and finally, we will lovingly and humbly oversee the process of confronting and rebuking sin as is described in Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 20. Okay, this is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that we love each other too much just to let each other wander off and fall off a cliff. We bring each other back humbly and gently and lovingly. Okay, so that, that's the instruction that Peter gives to the elders. He says to shepherd the flock. That's what we as elders are called to do. Now, the second instruction that Peter gives is to people who are members of the flock. Okay, and the instruction that he gives to non-elders, we can look at it in verse 5. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Okay, now, younger and elder, the way Peter's using these words here, he's not talking about, you know, an, an 80-year-old person and a 15-year-old person. He's talking about two different roles. Somebody who's in the role of a leader, be, being an elder, and then those who are under their care, referring to them as those who are, who are younger. What he says here is, be subject to the elders. The word subject is the same word for, for submit. Now, I just said a few minutes ago, this word really trips us up because, again, we think of you know, me choking the life out of David Heyman or something like that, and you imagine somebody forcing you to do something or beating you up or um, losing all sense of personal autonomy and dignity. And we said, that's not what it means. The word submit, it literally means to voluntarily, very key word, voluntarily to place yourself under somebody. To voluntarily place yourself under somebody. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, elders, make sure that everybody submits to you. It doesn't say that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, husbands, demand that your wives submit to you. It doesn't say that. It says submission is something that's done voluntarily. You're voluntarily placing yourself under somebody. Okay, the best example, I gave the example of the UFC before. The best example that I think we can give that's the clearest picture of what submission should look like is the relationship between God the Son and God the Father. Between Jesus and God the Father. God sends Jesus into the world to live a perfect life and die for our sins. Jesus submits to the Father. Even though he knows it's going to be hard, he submits to the Father and he humbles himself willingly and he comes to live and die for our sins. While he's on the earth, Jesus doesn't just do what he wants to do. He doesn't say what he thinks. He only says what the Father has told him. And we see the night before Jesus died, the night before he was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus pouring out his heart to the Father, saying, Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to be crucified. 
please, is there any way that we can not have me have to do this? But then what does he say? But not my will, but your will be done. So he submits to the Father again, even by dying on the cross. And what does God do? God takes Jesus who submits to him, and he lifts him up. Philippians 2 says that he lifts him up far above all ruler and dominion and and, and power and authority. He gives him all of the authority in heaven and on earth. He puts everything under his feet. He gives Jesus the name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So do you see how that works? Jesus willingly submits to the Father. He comes under the Father and does the will of the Father. And then the Father comes under Jesus and raises Jesus up and gives him power and authority and dominion and glory. Right? And this is what it should look like. See in verse, um, in verse 5, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Whether we're an elder, whether we're a member of a church, whether we're a leader, whether we're a follower, all of us should live with each other in a humble way. And this is what leadership in the church should look like. This is what submission in the church should look like, where if somebody is in the position of an elder in a church, you voluntarily place yourself under that person, submitting to their authority, following them as they follow Jesus, and then they turn around, they come under you, and they sacrifice, and they give of themselves, and they serve, and they equip, and they empower you to be all that God has created you to be. So when this idea of submitting to one another, clothing ourselves in humility towards one another, and then submitting ourselves to the church leadership, when that's done in a healthy way, it's not something that chokes the life out of you. It's something that's incredibly empowering. Okay? Um, Now, some people have asked the question, what if an elder is in sin? Do I still have to submit to an elder if they go off the rails, if they start disobeying? And and the answer is basically no. Um, Because, again, we're, we're we're called to shepherd God's people under the authority of Jesus Christ, who's the good shepherd, who's the chief shepherd. Which means, if we start shepherding in a direction not in the direction that Jesus wants us to go, then it's your job submission at that point looks like saying, hey, I love you guys. I can't follow you there. I'm going to obey God instead of obeying you. And if the elder is in sin, if, they're, if they don't have godly character, then the way you submit to that elder is not by saying, oh, I'll just cover it up. I mean, after all, he's a good preacher. I mean, it's just his personality. No, you, you, you lovingly come and you say, brother or sister, We love you too much to let you continue hurting yourself and hurting others in this way, okay? So that's what submission looks like, and that's what accountability looks like. Elders are accountable to each other, accountable to to all of you, to the entire church family, and ultimately accountable to God. Well, I started off by saying, I know this is a really tough topic for a lot of people because of experiences you might have had with leadership in the past. I wonder how many of you, as I'm saying that right now, are imagining leaders who have 
not cared for you. Leaders who have maybe even used you, maybe even abused you, taken advantage of you. I know there's people in this room right now who have experienced significant spiritual trauma where in the name of God, people who claim to be speaking for God have hurt you. Maybe as I'm talking about submitting to an elder, maybe you even can feel your heart rate increasing. (laughs) I was reading a story this past week about a woman who she left the church that was an abusive situation where the elders were very controlling, very domineering. And for like a year, she couldn't even read the Bible because she had experienced the Bible being something that was weaponized against her, that was used to control her, that was used to just keep her under somebody's thumb. And so when you open up the Bible, she would... She, she would just start to, she would start to get nervous. Maybe there's some of you that when you think about being a member of a church, submitting to an elder of a church, having a relationship with a pastor, maybe it makes you really nervous because you have a lot of pain because of spiritual trauma that's in your past. The first thing that I want to say And really, a very important thing that I want to say, if that's you, is be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself. It is okay that you feel that way. You can allow yourself to feel the way you're feeling. It's not your fault that you feel that way. It's not unspiritual that you feel that way. It doesn't make you weak that you feel that way. I was reading a story this past week too of a, of a man, this is not in, in, in our church, nobody that we know is the book I was reading, and, and was saying that this guy was so traumatized by an abusive leader that he had been under that when he even saw somebody who wasn't that person but just looked like that person, he would feel himself starting to have a panic attack. Maybe you can relate to some of that. That's okay. Allow yourself to feel that. One of the worst things that you can do if you've been traumatized in the past is to just try to brush it off and to try to deny the way you're actually feeling. Second of all, I just ask you, if you're experiencing that pain because of maybe 
ways that a leader has hurt you. Or maybe it's, maybe it even wasn't done to you personally. Maybe it's been done to your kids. Maybe it's something that you've seen online. Maybe it's a pastor or a leader. And I mean, there's been so many examples recently that you loved, that you revered, that helped you a lot in your relationship with God. And it turned out they were a hypocrite. Whatever the case is. And you experience pain about that. The question I would ask you, again, lovingly, is what are you doing about that pain? Actually, to say it better, what are you doing with that pain? You know, one of the biggest lies is that time heals all wounds. Wounds take time to heal, but it doesn't happen automatically. What are you doing with the pain that's been inflicted on you by leaders who were abusive or who mistreated you? And what you'll find is, if we just try to sweep it under the rug or ignore it, it comes out in all these weird different ways, including physical symptoms that people who have experienced trauma will literally start to have all different types of health problems. Increased inflammation in your body, migraines, weak immune system, just consistent chronic pain. These are all things you know, you might be trying to forget about it in your mind, but your body still remembers. Or maybe if you just try to sweep it under the rug, maybe it comes out. What happens sometimes is, unfortunately, people leave an abusive situation and end up going straight back into another abusive situation. Where you, you've been abused, you've been hurt, and then you, without even realizing it, you put yourself in that situation again and you're hurt right over again because that's what's familiar to you. Or maybe if you don't do that, maybe you've been hurt so bad in the past, you make a promise to yourself, I am never trusting another pastor ever again. I was hurt before, never again. And so whenever a pastor tries to shepherd you, whenever a pastor tries to lovingly come alongside you, you run the other direction. What are you doing with that pain? What would it look like What would it look like for you to take that pain to Jesus? Not try to ignore it. Not try to tough it out. Not try to blame yourself for it. What would it look like for you, whatever you're thinking about right now, ways that you've been hurt by people that were supposed to be caring for you, what would it look like for you this week to take that pain to Jesus?
let me give you two, two things to try. It's really one thing to try with two parts to it. Really simple. Breathe out and breathe in. Okay? Breathe out pain. And breathe in God's truth. Breathe out the pain and breathe in the life-giving, healing truth in God's word. What does it mean to breathe out the pain? It means to come to Jesus and to tell him exactly how you feel, exactly how much you're hurting. Don't hold anything back. Whatever it is that you would be afraid would sound unspiritual, make sure you say that. Say it to Jesus exactly the way you mean it. Let Jesus see and hear and know how you're feeling, how deeply you're hurting, completely unfiltered with no holds barred. And by the way, this is about anything. It doesn't have to be just about abusive leadership. Tell him Tell them how you're doing. Be explicit. Be graphic if you want to be. If you're mad at God, he, he can take it. He's not afraid. Breathing out, get, giving your pain over to Jesus, that's something that I believe is particularly difficult for my brothers and sisters who are who are older than me. If you grew up, if you're you know, I'm a millennial. If you're kind of older than millennials, it's a good chance that that's something that is not very natural for you. Because a lot of people in past generations have been taught pain is weakness. Tough it out. Keep a stiff upper lip. If you show somebody that you're hurting, they're just going to use that against you. And so for you, it maybe sounds unspiritual even. Maybe it thinks, I could never tell God how angry I am at God. That's disrespectful. Go read the Psalms. Go look at the Psalms. Look at Psalm 77. Look at the way David says, God, where are you? Why did you let this happen? You said you cared about me. Go look at the way David talks to God in the Psalms, and then come back and tell me it's unspiritual for you to tell God how you're actually feeling. You know what's unspiritual? For you to just pretend like you're fine and keep God at arm's length. So number one, breathe out the pain. Number two, breathe in the truth from God's word. Now I said a second ago, Breathing out the pain, that's probably pretty challenging for some of my brothers and sisters here that are older than me. If you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, or older, maybe that sounds pretty unspiritual. I think in the same way, for some of people in my generation, who are millennials, who are Gen Zers, I think breathing in the truth of God's word seems pretty counterintuitive. See, we were taught your feelings define you. you. We were taught what you feel determines what the truth is. And so for us to think, 
okay, I feel this way, but I'm not going to let my feelings control me, that sounds like you're not being genuine. That sounds fake. Breathe out your pain. Breathe in the truth of God's word. So coming before God, not at all saying, oh, the pain's over. I'm not going to feel that ever again. I'm not talking about that. But saying, looking at God's word and remembering God loves me. I don't feel like he loves me, but he loves me. God has good plans for me. I don't feel like he does, but he does. Including the truth that one of the main ways that God shows his love for you is by putting spiritual leaders, elders in your life who are godly, who are humble, who are gentle, who are going to care for you. Breathe out the pain and breathe in the truth of God's word. And maybe what it looks like for you today is just to pray a prayer and to say, God, I know you tell me that submitting to leadership, godly, biblical, gentle, humble, Christ-like leadership is for my good. But I, I don't believe that. Maybe just confess, that's really hard for me to accept. Say, God, I want you to change my heart. I want you to get me to the point where I'm able to willingly, voluntarily come under leadership that actually does care for me. And watch what he does. Watch what he does. I want to do something kind of strange as we close. I want to ask the band to come back. Well, that's not strange. I want you to turn with me to, um, go ahead and put the Ephesians 3 passage on the screen. Uh, you know, one of the things that historically churches do a lot of that we don't do too much of is reading Scripture together. So what I want to ask you to do, if you're willing, I'd like to ask everybody to stand up. And this is from the ESV. Ephesians uh, 3, 20, through 20, uh, 20 and 21. This is a prayer that, that the Apostle Paul gives about the church. His heart and his desire for the church. And this is what God wants for our church too. You know, for the past several weeks we've been talking about what it looks like to be a faithful church and a faithful church member. And there's some things we've talked about that I'll be honest, as I say them, I'm like, I don't know if we can do that. In fact, I know we can't do that. And then I remember the Spirit of God is at work within us. God promises that he will build his church. And maybe for you, the things we talked about today, the idea of experiencing some type of healing and actually getting to a place where you can joyfully, willingly submit yourself to empowering, gentle, Christ-like authority and the elders, maybe that feels like that's a million miles away. Maybe there's something on your heart that feels like it could never be fixed. It could never be healed. But we have the Holy Spirit with us. Let's trust God, let's keep following him, and let's watch what he does. We have a chance to be a part of something really cool here. And I'm really excited by it, and I hope that all of you will be a part of it with me.
Let's close by this prayer, saying this together. I'll start, and you guys just say it out loud with me, okay? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen.